just sitting here crocheting, waiting. <laughs> okay, welcome <laughs> to the Animal Control Report with your crocheting hosts. <laughs> no, 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 crocheting host, Ashley Bishop. You don't I know don't if I'm crocheting could. and Daniel Ettinger. I don't think you could, Dan. You know, that's that's disrespectful. I, I once was able to macrame. That's a, takes a lot less time. I don't think you have the attention span to crochet. I'll crochet a hat for you. All right. Speaking of hats, you can get hats at the, well, I don't even know our website anymore. Keepithumane.com in the shop. And if you go to that shop, there's a discount code if you're listening to the show called. Keep it humane? No, I'm. you know, it's just AC Report. It's real simple. 10% off your order when you go to our shop. AC Report. Pickups. We have all sorts of stuff. We have, so like for you, your truck probably stinks, so you need some of these air fresheners. What makes you think my truck stinks? I actually pride myself in the fact that my truck doesn't stink. <laughs> I don't know. Probably 80% of animal control officer trucks stink. Maybe, maybe that's a high number. I don't know. But I have these awesome air fresheners up there if you want to purchase those. We got hats, t-shirts, sweatshirts, tumblers keychains you name it we got it a crocheted blanket you can put that up there you should make a crocheted blanket for somebody <laughs> to, to purchase comes with dog hair too and, and cat hair yep and cat hair it's unique one of a kind so check that out check out our website keep it humane.com or humanemain.com whichever one you want to go to it's fine it takes you to the same place please make sure you rate like share the podcast do all that fun stuff and What's good, Bishop? Not much. I've been in training all week. Oh, what were you doing? Um, critical, um, not critical incident, critical, I don't know, CIT training, mental health and uh, <laughs> stuff. CIT, that stands for Crisis Intervention Training. There we go. There we go. That's it. I'm good for something around here. Every once in a while. <laughs> how, did you like it? How was, how was it? It was good. Um I felt like I had a pretty good handle on most of it. Okay. Um, but you know what? The fact of the matter is, is we go into those cases just like any other officer does, or sometimes we create those cases. Mm. Um, yeah. I had one where I had a dog that had killed another dog and I went to declare the dog dangerous and she just lost her mind. Um, the dog or the human? The human. The yeah. human lost her mind. Um, <clears throat> she'd only had the dog for four months. It was after a bad breakup with an abusive boyfriend that she got the dog. Okay. And, you know, she just fell to the ground, sobbing, inconsolable. Um, mm. And th obviously there was a whole lot more going on there. But just having a few more tools in my in, on my tool belt to know how to handle that because the, if I'm being honest, the officer I was with was not doing a good job. <laughs> did they did they tell them, hey, just calm down? Calm no, down. no, that he it, that I don't think he did. But he also is not very. I don't want to say he's not personable. He's a nice guy, um, but. You know what? There's some people where you got to get that connection with them, and he was not about getting that connection. Yeah. With her. Speaking of connection, we have great guests scheduled on here the show today. Uh, 
that we have a great connection with. And I don't know how you can't have a great connection with them. So stay tuned for that. And then we have a really There's cool... a hate club. For one yeah, one. but that's a fake hate club. And then, because <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know how anybody, we'll, maybe we'll find out when we get them on. And then we also have a cool email we're going to read too uh, from a listener that I thought was pretty interesting. So stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for a big announcement at the end of the show. And uh, yeah, uh, I, I was... Um, I have to stay tuned because I don't even know what the big announcement is. That's what we call a tease in radio. <laughs> stay tuned for the big announcement. Um, we are, um, anyway, we, I was, where was I last week? I was Boston? in, yeah. So I was in the new England area. I went to the new England Federation of humane societies conference. That was really cool. I'm sad that I missed the one part. They had this, uh, team building event where they uh, had people draw pictures of animals. Uh, which was really cool. And then people got to vote on who their favorite was, which I thought was neat. So, but I missed the actual time to draw. I mean, it, my, my, my drawing would have looked like, you know, maybe a second grader drew it, but it's fine. Like it would have still been fun because you Dan, can laugh and joke around. Yeah. I don't know if you know this. <clears throat> we have social media. You can upload photos there. So I challenge you to still draw that picture and uh, <laughs> put it up there. And let our and let our listeners judge it. Yes. All right, I'll do that. Check that out at Instagram for the animal control report, and then I'll I'll get it up there in the next few days, and then you can judge it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I will. <laughs> uh, so that was really cool. It was it was just a neat experience. I had a really great conversation with a few people there, and uh, just you know talking talking business. And then I uh, I had to fly out to Michigan. To good old Battle Creek. I flew into Kalamazoo, but I got stuck in O'Hara Airport for 12 hours. So that was, I feel like Ooh. you can make a movie in O'Hara Airport. Oh, wait, they did that. Oh, yeah. That was Die Hard. Um, <laughs> but I feel like you could just make a movie about layovers and getting stuck. Like that's all you do the whole time, just get stuck. Um, I don't know. Not I've like two dogs stuck. in the backyard stuck, but just stuck. <laughs> I've never been stuck at O'Hare. So, and let me ask you this I have a question for you. If you are in a training for animal sex assault, bestiality, however you want to define it, zoophilia, uh, would you want to see any video, any video? Like, and when I say want, like, I know you're not like, yeah, I want to see animals having sex with humans or vice versa. But do you think it's important? Yes. To see to see small clips of it because I think you're gonna have things that you're gonna take away from it that you wouldn't think about. I would be looking at it going, okay, at where could I be seeing injuries specifically on the animal based on what I'm seeing? Yeah. Um, the animal's behavior, depending on if it's before, during, or after, would give you the animal's behavior before, during, sure. or after. Yeah. Um, the potential for injuries on the person and where to be looking for those. Um, but I, it would have to have like huge warning signs being like, Hey, we're going to watch this graphic content. Feel free to step to out. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like it would be beneficial to see at least a small part of it. And the other piece too it may not be you, it may be a detective in your police department, but if you're investigating a crime like that, you may be required to watch the videos, yo. Mm -hmm. And you may be required to then put together 
you know, probable cause based on the videos and, and, and doing that investigation piece. So just thought that was interesting and uh, just had a really good time. Michigan put on a great conference and we did that. If you didn't listen to a couple episodes ago, I did a bonus episode where I talked to quite a few officers. It was interesting. Quite a few carry, uh, carry firearms there. Uh, and they're not, they're not like deputized in the aspect of like arresting people. Uh, but I think they, they carry it for their public safety and stuff. So that was really cool. If you, if you missed that, go back, check that out. That's, um, that was live from Michigan animal, wait, Michigan association of animal control officers at the firekeepers casino there in battle Creek, Michigan, good old battle Creek, a uh, lot of fun there. So, but I'm glad to be back and sleep in my own bed. Yo, <laughs> are you done traveling for the year you've been doing a lot of already. <laughs> you're stupid yo <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not. I, I'm i'm done for a little bit my, our, our next trip actually my next trip i'll be in uh in chicago and bloomington illinois that's in june so i'm looking forward to that for prairie state yep prairie state mm-hmm. be there and then we're doing a separate thing for the illinois animal control officer association so really excited to be part of that not as cool as our next guest, though, because that's Tabitha and Kelly of the Humane Educators of Texas. Hello. Hey, ladies. What's up? Good morning. How are you? <laughs> well, we're this side of dirt, so I guess it's a good day. Pretty good. Okay. There we go. For those that don't know, and those that don't know, they just probably haven't listened to the show. These are great friends of the show. Kelly Kelly Tyson, Tabitha Blewett. Is that right? Did I, did I yep, blow it? Good job. There you go. Don't, don't remember the first time him. I tried inter- introducing you, Kelly? Oh, goodness gracious. It's only taken how many years? Good job. I know. I know. Well, talk about travel. I thought it was a good segue. You're busy training, not just in Texas, but all over the country. Talk about just what's going on with the humane educators of Texas. Also check them out, humaneeducatorsoftexas.com. And you can find uh, them. Not dot org? No. And you can find them on our website too, as a under our partner page. So if you can't remember all that, just go to our website, click the link, check out their website. Well, we've been on the road a little bit this past month. We went up to Fort Worth for the Texas Police Chiefs Association Conference. Um, and we were vendoring there. That was a lot of fun until we got kicked out of the building for a bomb threat. I remember I you that. About that. It was oh. it was it was kind of funny because oh. You know, we, we got invited up to the luncheon and it's about 600 people plated, nice luncheon that they're going to be doing awards and whatnot. And we sat down, we have our salads in front of us and the speaker guy gets up on the stage and he's asking for the Fort Worth police chief, you know, is he in here? Where are you? No one, you know, gets up. So he gets off the stage and we're all just kind of chitty chatting with other people at our table and a couple minutes come by and he gets back on the stage and he was like, so... Don't want to alarm anybody, but we have a bit of a situation and all of the conference building staff have been evacuated already. And we start looking around like, yep, none of the waiters are here anymore. Like everybody's gone. (laughs) And he's like, um, and we're just trying to figure out what we're going to do. So y'all just sit tight. We'll, we'll figure out our plan. And mind you, there's almost 600 people in this room. And so he comes back another minute or so later and he goes, okay, so, you know how when a plane is in distress, they come on and go, is there a pilot on board? (laughs) Well, we're just curious of all the people in here. Is there a bomb technician in the room? And Everybody just kind of giggles. And he's like, no, I'm serious. Is there a bomb technician in here? 
no okay y'all sit tight we're we're just figuring some things out <laughs> now we're like oh shit <laughs> <laughs> so then another minute goes by and he comes back and he goes okay so for those of you who ate your salad quickly congratulations you got a salad for lunch those of you who didn't i'm so sorry but we all need to evacuate <laughs> So we had to evacuate this entire conference. There was two conferences going on and the Fort Worth convention center takes up a whole city block. Like it's a massive convention center. And so there's two different conferences going on. Um, And so everybody had to evacuate out and we were out for a couple hours while they searched the entire building. And then we finally got to go back in. And it all came down to there was a suspicious bag in one of the men's bathrooms that a police officer was going to the bathroom. A guy walked in, put this bag down, went to the bathroom, and then walked out without the bag. And so rather than that officer going, hey, man, you left your bag and calling him out, he instead called in a bomb scare. Okay. <laughs> that Did been you resolved. ever find out what was in the bag? It, nothing. It was just <laughs> conference material. Just conference material. Someone left their conference bag (laughs) so yeah that was fun so we didn't die that was good yeah i mean i can understand though at a police conference having that concern yeah absolutely and you know it's no no they were being crazy (laughs) i mean you've got police chiefs and administrators from the entire state of texas there they need to calm down it you gotta put a little bit of safety in front tabitha no no (laughs) but it was so funny afterwards tabitha was like wait can we be bomb techs like (laughs) one of our friends said right is anybody gonna like check like if i raised my hand and said yes i'm a bomb technician are they gonna ask for my credentials or can it just be like i stayed at holiday and express last night i think i could do this like (laughs) (laughs) you could have literally just been like yeah it's me and then watch. Okay, I saw Die Hard. Hard. I think I could do this. So next time, Die Hard twice in one episode, yo. That's, that's I am. Episode. I'm raising my hand next time. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. literally, you'd have just walked to the men's bathroom, and let's be honest, Tabitha, it's not the first time you've been in the men's bathroom, and so <laughs> that's true. That's true. It, and so, um, you just walk in, you look in the bag, and you're like, "All right, we're good. Let's go back to class. I want, you know, I want the rest of my lunch. We're good. Let's go." Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, it's funny because we were just talking this morning about how it's not uncommon for women to learn how to pee in urinals interesting i could yeah, yeah i've never done that really what? <laughs> what? you don't go, you don't go out of- <laughs> i don't have to pee as often as tabitha <laughs> that's, that's true, true. <laughs> that's true but you know you go to a club and the women's line is 400 people long and there's no one in the men's restroom you Pop over to the men's restroom. What happened to this episode? Or, you know, <laughs> you're in New Orleans at a gay club. This happened to this episode, which we, <laughs> we expect. We expect this every time. I feel like next time Ashley comes to Texas, we have something we knew we need. I was going to say, if, if we <laughs> come in, if we come in this year. Talk in November. Yeah, I got, we're there. I got, I'm waiting for Jamie to tell me whether or not I'm coming to teach. Did he respond to your email? Yeah, he told me he thought it was a great idea, and he'd let me know in a month or two when he put the calendar or the, put everything together. Oh, okay. It sounds like, it sounds like well, great I'm glad idea. he's really jumping on it. Yeah. Well. <laughs> All right, let's keep it moving. So, talk to us about the Humane Educators of Texas. What do you have uh, kind of coming up in the next few months? So, uh, I, I'm on your I'm on your website. I'm looking at some of the classes. Oh God, we don't even know. 
Well, uh, okay, let me help you out. Monday, May 1st, shelter standards and management. Buy tickets. Well, yeah. That's my Thank birthday. You. Oh, wow. I'm going to teach on my birthday. Okay. So if you're going to that class, alcohol, what do you want for your birthday? Yes. Alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> Hugs and kisses and warm well wishes. And no. vodka that no, tastes no. like vodka. jalapenos. <laughs> in, all, in all serious though, with the state of Texas, the basic animal control officer training is that required? Is that part of the requirement? Because I know Texas is one of the six states that have some sort of required training for animal control officers. Yes, we. So in Texas, within your first year of employment, you have to take the basic ACO class and pass the test. Okay. But the big difference with Texas and probably the other states is that um, in 2008 they changed it in the state law. So it's no longer considered a certification. So you can't claim to be a state certified ACO mm. or state licensed ACO anymore. Okay. Um, you're just trained. Oh, but mm. you have I'm to, yeah. Yeah. And, and we do the, we do the basic class and the test. And I see, okay. So you, you, I'm looking at some of the topics here. What, so talk really quick. Cause I mean, there's probably some listeners in Texas that may or may not know this TXHSC 829. What the hell is that? <laughs> it's Texas Health and Safety Code, Chapter 829. So that that okay. Health and Safety Code chapter is uh, the law that governs animal control officer training. So it's what lays out the requirements for the basic ACO class and testing, as well as the CE requirements that we have to get every three years. Yeah. Um, but it also lays out all the in information for instructors like, like me and Kelly. So the okay. topics that we can teach on, what has to be taught, additional requirements, things like that. So that's what that is. Oh. What I love about you both, and, and we've known each other for years now, is as goofy as we can get, whether it's on this show, <laughs> over the phone, in person, I know that, that you're absolutely great instructors, serious when you need to be. Who te do you, Is it a tag team when you do professionalism and ethics, or is that one of you? Uh, <laughs> that's not me. It's not well, well, in basic, Tabitha teaches the entire two-day basic class, okay. um, but... It just kind of depends on which class we're teaching, if we're doing advanced, if we're doing uh, admin or just basic, you know, it's usually one or one or both of us. Well, and I think one of the things I, I hear all the time in teaching is I do the same thing, right? I can be goofy and, and have a lot of fun, but I still really try to hammer home those those really important points and like, let's have discussion and conversations about it. And I think that's your style as well. And, you know, I, I, uh, I appreciate, I appreciate that. Like from, from your, you know, viewpoint, you can, you don't just sit up there with dry, kind of a dry delivery and, and bore people to sleep. You know, we try not to. Yeah. I mean, we sat through years and years of boring death by PowerPoint monotone trainings. So when we really kind of launched this, that was a, that was an actual conversation that Kelly and I had is like, if we're going to do this, we can't just repeat the same formula that everybody else has done because sure. nobody really likes to go to training, right? Cause it's so boring and you know, they're, you're falling asleep cause they're just clicking through a PowerPoint, reading it off the screen. So that's why we try and make our, we try and make it engaging. Yeah. We, the, we, want, yeah. we want people when they leave to, to go, I can't wait to come to another class. I don't yeah. care what you're teaching. I want to come. Like that's the kind of reaction we usually get. And that's what we want. We want people to want to learn. And when we, when I visited your office two, three years ago now, one of my favorite things was you just throwing all the different viruses and diseases at us. Like you have little stuffed animals of all those. And like, 
how is that not fun? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> sitting in class and like getting the getting like to hold the rabies, um, you know, the rabies virus stuffed animal. Who doesn't want to hold that? Get a little get a little toxoplasmosis to snuggle with. It's right. fun. I'm just a little worried that somewhere hidden there's a herpes virus somewhere. I don't I don't want to touch that. Okay. I we haven't have a, bought that set yet. Okay, just leave it alone. Because I have an AIDS. If you buy it, you can't get rid when, of it. When's your birthday, Dan? <laughs> December twenty seventh. <laughs> we might be sending you a little uh, care package. <laughs> <laughs> you need to stop because I'm just sending. I'm gonna uh, return to sender that bad boy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> stamp an Elvis on that thing. Return that to sender. Oh, <laughs> I think they've got a chlamydia too. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Well, they have, have they have a whole um, Valentine's package that has a bunch of different STDs in the package. Oh, in a heart-shaped box. Yeah. That's, oh. great. <laughs> that's actually, honestly, it's kind of cute and really, I really think it's great. Props for learning. Our, yeah, giantmicrobes.com. Not okay. sponsored. Not sponsored. They're amazing, though. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do this. We, we sent out an email that we received uh, that is really interesting. So before we do that, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Tomahawk Live Trap has been manufacturing humane animal capture and handling equipment since 1925. They work directly with animal control officers around the world to develop and improve their products so that they're as safe and efficient as possible. Save 10% on your next order by using discount code DCACREPORT. Visit them online at www.livetrap.com or call them at 1-800-272-8727. So with this, we got an email from one of our listeners and her name is Amanda. We'll just keep it at Amanda. And she's not an ACO. She's a groomer and had a question for the show. Bishop, are you ready or you want me to read this? Uh, I've got it right here. All right, go. <clears throat> Shoot. My name is Amanda and I'm really enjoying the podcast. I'm not an ACO, but I am a dog groomer. Thanks, Dan, for reading the first two sentences. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. I want to know what I can do to help pups that come to me that clearly are not in the best situations. Also, what would be considered a reportable circumstance? I've encountered many things that I would have liked to report, but I, as always, told the groomer told that the groomer reporting something is always just shrugged off because bringing the dog to the groomer is considered care. <clears throat> While I was listening and heard the episode stating that vets are mandated reporters, it made me think of made me think that what I was always told is wrong since obviously going to the vet should also be care. So, are there things you would want to hear from the groomer? I see many of my clients every 6 to 8 weeks and those are not the dogs I'm worried about. It's the ones that call once a year and bring me a pelted doodle or a severely overweight compacted Great Pyrenees who can barely function. I have had dogs come in with such grown-in toenails that when I cut the dew claw, it is over half an inch deep in the leg. Whew. Uh, in this particular case, the dog was matted, covered in fecal matter, and had severely irritated skin and severely irritated ears where pus was leaking out of the ear and grown in the nails. And grown in nails. Normally, I wouldn't mess with a grown-in nail like that. I would refer to a vet, but talking to the owners and the condition of, of the dog, there was no way I was going to trust them to take the dog to the vet, and I wasn't going to let it be in pain any longer. 
Following up with the client after a few days after their groom to see how a vet visit went, they said he was fine, no need to see the doctor. They were just going to keep putting ointment on him. At this, I was furious. How could you not see a vet after all that? I could go on and on with the examples from my six years in the career. So, as an ACO, is there anything you would want to hear from us as groomers? Should I try and start a relationship with my local officers? If so, what is the best way to go about trying to start a relationship? Sorry for the long message. <laughs> Thank you for your time. First, I just want to say it's a great email and, and great questions. And if you have an email that you want to have read on the show, you can shoot us an email. Just send it to Daniel at humanemain.com and we'll get it read on the show. I, I'm going to just start with uh, Kelly and Tabitha. What's your take? Like, how would you train in your classes if somebody asked this question uh, while you were teaching? So for me, this is always a tough thing here in Texas. Um, because like one of the, one of the things we deal with all the time in Texas is somebody will call in and say, you know, my neighbor isn't feeding their dog. Right. And so you call them or you go meet with them to get more information. And they tell you, well, for the last two weeks, I've been throwing dog food over the fence for the dog. <laughs> and it's like, well, the law just says the dog has to receive food, not who has to feed it. Right. Sure. Yeah. And so you've been feeding it for the last two weeks. There's not a whole lot I can do here, right? Because it doesn't say that Bob, the owner, has to feed it. You've been feeding it. So I think this kind of falls into that purview. So if I were, when I was a, when I was a cruelty investigator, if I'd have gotten a call like this, my first question would be, or my first suggestion to her would be, I need you to call me when the animal gets there, okay. not after you've already corrected the problem. Because if I get there and you've groomed it and you've corrected the problem and I can't collect any evidence of a, of a crime, right, maybe I can go back to the house. But if they don't let me in, like I haven't, I don't really have anything to work with at this point. So if she calls me and I can come see the animal before she grooms it, um, then I probably have a case I can start working. But it just, I think with this, timing is going to play a huge role in uh, what I'm going to be able to do as a cruelty investigator. Can I ask though, if she was able to document it, through photos and videos yes. and then still treat the animal. That's good enough, right? As long as she's willing to testify. As long as she's willing to testify and I have a court that is willing to go to the links to verify the, the evidence that it hasn't been oh. altered, which is sort of hit or miss here in Texas because um, I mean, Texas is not leading the country in cruelty laws, right? So and we're not leading the country in cruelty cases being heard in courts. I mean, it's you're going to be very hard-pressed here in Texas to find cruelty that actually even makes it to trial. Most of them get plat out. Um, it's only within the last couple of years that we even had felony animal cruelty. So um, it just all depends on where, which part of the state you're in and how good the courts are and what they're willing to, what links they're willing to go to, it's whether or not they'll do anything. Yeah. Just a really quick break. According to the Animal Legal defense fund that's aldf.org they do their state rankings and though you're not leading you're still number 11 so you're in the top oh, tier that tells you how bad all the other states are right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all right so okay that I, I i get that perspective and i guess kelly what's your take on that i agree i think the the hard part like Tabitha said, is about court. And I think the big hurdle is a lot of courts see that as, well, they came and got care. Mm -hmm. We're not going to punish them because they took the steps to go get care. 
never mind the months or years prior that it wasn't getting care. Um, but yeah, I think timing comes down to it. Also, there needs to be a, a fearlessness in the groomers. They need to not be afraid of retribution, yeah. of getting you know yeah. drugged through the mud on social media. Because the second, if I was a groomer, I call and law enforcement shows up, that client's going to be like, I hate you. I'm never coming back to you. I'm going to, you know, say all the terrible things on Facebook and write you a horrible review on Yelp. But you have to be able to like, look, I I'm setting this standard and I, I have a no tolerance, zero tolerance for this. Well, and I, I've, I was told recently, uh, some, a friend of mine went to an ASPCA training and they talked about this. They talked about uh, veterinarians reporting animal cruelty and how they're seeing they're seeing more like, I guess, more positive in the community because they have that moral compass that they're like, yeah, we're, we're not going to let this slide. So even if even if you're reviewing Google stuff and you're like, oh, this person got a one star and then you're re- reviewing it. Well, they call it animal control because my dog's dew claw was dug into the bone or whatever it may be. Then people are going to be like, oh, I like this place. I'm going to go back or I'm going to go here. And so I see both sides of it. Yeah. Right. Bishop, where, where, do you, where are you at on this? Where do you stand? Um, I definitely agree with the ladies like it's and I think one thing I want the listeners to understand specifically those of you that aren't ACOs at least from what I see and it sounds like what it is in Texas it's not necessarily it's not us that don't want to come it's us knowing what our prosecutors are willing to prosecute and being able to make that distinction of, okay, well, again, they are at some point getting the care. I would still encourage, and I've done this, um, even with probation agents where they're like, Hey, you know, I went in, I did an inspection on this property, but I've got a good working relationship with my client. Um, but there's some things that need to be addressed. They're not critical right now. And I say, okay, that's fine. And I put it on my calendar for a welfare check a couple days, a week or two out from their visit. And that will give some space so that they don't necessarily connect it back to it being the probation agent, being the one to have reported it to me. Yeah. And then I'm checking the home. And at that point, even if I can't do something in the moment, because again, um, the photos aren't taken and things like that, um, before the problem is corrected, I'm still doing a welfare check. I'm checking on that animal and everybody else in the household. But to answer the question of Amanda, of working with her ACOs, I think it's very valid that she could, you know, reach out to them and just ask how they would handle it and get a working relationship. I would, I would never turn down somebody that says, Hey, I work in XYZ field in with animals. And every once in a while I get things. Can I sit down and talk to you and figure out, you know, how I can report to you, what I can report to you and whether or not, you know, I have to be named in it. So just making that general connection and then 
even if we have to go, okay, we have a groomer who has reported it at one point in time, even if they've already groomed the animal, well, now we wait and we do this welfare check in the meantime. And then if we have to wait until they actually bring the animal back again, we're creating that history, which we can take to our prosecutors as well. And can I having ask this though? I, yeah. I, I think, I think there's been a shift in our profession in a lot of ways. And one thing that I can say, and I'm sure Tabitha and Kelly, you hear this with your students as well. Um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful. I, I'm super grateful and, and just humbled by the fact that I can meet so many people in this industry. And through that, um, I look at trends and I, I get an opportunity to just see like what's similar, what's different, what works, what doesn't, you know, in every state, every city, every, you know, little county is going to have different ways of doing things. But what I'll say is the overall resounding theme is the prosecutor doesn't care or mm-hmm. they don't want to take the case or they're just going to plea it out or, and so where I've kind of shifted my focus is that's absolutely true. And I've, I've dealt with that in my own way. I've, I can't tell you the number of cases that I've dealt with where, right. It's a, it's felony or misdemeanor level. And then the, the DA is like, eh, and then, you, is and it then yeah. And then you're like, well, I mean, by definition, yes. Mm-hmm. And then you end up, um, cause they have to look at it from their perspective too. Can they get a jury to, to agree with that, right? They don't want to waste their time. And part of that is due to their docket, right? What kind of cases they're dealing with, et cetera. Now that doesn't mean that's not an excuse to say like, we shouldn't prosecute this. And the, the things that, you know, I'm going around and teaching are how it's all linked together, whether it's a, you know, somebody starts with kicking a cat to death and then they end up murdering somebody or shooting up the next school. Like that shit is connected and we need our prosecutors and judges to, to realize that. And so what I'm asking and what I'm saying in these classes is, you know, how, how many people do this and, and Bishop, you may do this and, and Kelly and Tabitha, you may have done this too, is some of you, our listeners, might, probably not not a lot of them, but I, I think all of you remember, like when you sent a fax back in the day, you had to put a fax cover sheet, right? Like mm-hmm. and a, for those that don't know what a fax is, it's, it's basically like an email <laughs> attachment before there was email attachments. Uh, and you sent that through the phone line and I'm sure most people know what that is, but my point is you would put like a fax cover sheet, like who it's from, what the subject is. And so what I, what I recommend is, when you're submitting a packet, if you don't have, if you don't have the ability to have a face-to-face or a conversation with your prosecutor, create a fax cover sheet. So like facts, not a fax, not F-A-X, but the fax cover sheet. Like here's the facts of the case. And this is what our recommendation of the case is. We're not saying you as the prosecutor need to do this, but here's why we're recommending that this person gets like court mandated mental health evaluation and treatment, right? During their probation, right? That's what we want to see. And so taking that, that different look when we're dealing with like a, a neglect thing. So back to Amanda's question is call, call every time. But when you call, I, I think it's important to create an environment with your ACO. Like, Hey, let's, can we, can we work at this together? Or is there any documents or anything that we can make together that shows why this is, is, a potentially bad for your animal and then b what you know what kind of repercussions there are if you continue to do this so maybe having handouts 
in their grooming office to give out to people uh, when they're there. I, I agree completely, but to, to kind of comment on the idea of, you know, my prosecutor won't take it. My county attorney won't take it. My DA yeah. won't take it. Um, I mean, we've all dealt with that in our careers. And what I tell my, my students in, in my cruelty classes is this, uh, in the same way that, you know, you're passionate as a cruelty investigator, right. And you want to do the best for the animals at the end of the day, that's your goal. Yeah. That fight doesn't stop in the field. It has to continue on in the office. And the more and more and more that these cases are brought to court, the more and more that they're brought to prosecutors, the less and less they can turn a blind eye to it. Yeah. And I, I, every case that I wanted to have heard uh, in court or had my prosecutor take, um, whether I thought they were going to take it or not, I sent it anyway. I said, yeah. anyway, because at a certain point it comes down to if they just are telling you, if you're bringing them a case a week, even, and they're just ignoring you or saying no every time. First of all, I feel like as an investigator, I've done my due diligence. If it gets dropped somewhere else past me, I've done everything I could for that animal. But it, again, at a certain point when the public starts coming back saying, how come our jurisdiction is not doing anything about animal cruelty? Yes. Well, I, I keep bringing it to them. They're the ones that are ignoring it, right? They're the ones that are not doing anything with it. And I think that that responsibility extends past just being in the field. Yeah. And I totally agree. And it's, it's one of those things, if I'm going to send them a hundred cases, if 99 get dropped, at least one was still seen, but they're also seeing these cases get dropped on their desk every week or every month that that's going to start add up to them of like, oh, wait, there, there is work to be done out there. Um, I had a situation where it was two cats that were abandoned in a house and we, we took them in and one of the cats ultimately, uh, died due to illness from being in that house and our detective dropped the ball. Our detective was like, oh yeah, I'll submit the, the stuff for the criminal case. Yeah, I'll take care of that. And he was retired on duty. He was ready to get out. So he never did it. And a year later I got an email from the County prosecutor saying, Hey, we have this person uh, in in for drug charges, and I see that y'all worked a case on her a year ago for cruelty, wow. but y'all yeah. never followed up with a criminal case. Do you want me to go ahead and drop these charges on her for two counts cool. of animal cruelty? Oh, wow. And I was like, absolutely. And he said, okay, I'll let you know. When you and said, so, when you say drop, later, it meant like actually not drop the charge, but actually add the charge. Add, add the charges on there. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. he added two counts of animal cruelty uh, to her case. And a week later he emailed me and said, okay, convictions on there and she'll get time served, but at least she's got those convictions. Cause here in Texas, if you have two prior convictions for animal cruelty, the next time you deal with it, it's automatically enhanced in okay. the, uh, the punishment. So sometimes it gets dropped on your end as far as like you're a detective or something. And but because the prosecutors are seeing so many cases, they start picking up going, oh, hey, maybe I can take this up since this didn't actually come through when it was supposed to. I love that. And I, I think our prosecutors are smart. Like, <laughs> I don't know if anybody studied law, but that shit is not easy. And so really finding a way to talk to them on their level and showing like, here's why. It's like we the dog catcher image or the dog catcher stereotype is not just from people that are in our industry like in the animal, like, or in our community, like, it, even though we have smart prosecutors and judges, they still think some of them still think you're the dog catcher. So when they see why you're putting this stuff together, and why you're trying to get more, 
that's where it really hits for them. So when you're saying like, yeah, this person did this cruelty, they could be continuing to do other things. Like let's get them on the radar now. Let's get them into some programs if we can. And I think that's, what's really important. And with that dog catcher mentality, I think it's also important that ACOs are going through the proper trainings and getting, you know, those certifications of being a cruelty investigator Mm. so that they can deliver clear, well put together packets for prosecutors that sometimes these prosecutors, what they get from animal control is better than what they're getting from the detectives. And so if we can, you know, increase that kind of level of professionalism, that puts it a little bit higher on their, um, their radar too, because, Hey, it's so well put together. They don't really have to fight much. It makes their job a lot easier. So anytime we put together a packet that is just boom, ready to go, they're usually more willing to take it because it's less work. And so that's something you teach. So humane educators of Texas.com, you can look for some of their classes there and, and look for what kind of class would, would, would really touch on that, that you teach. Well, I, I, I do all of our cruelty, cruelty training and I, I do talk on cruelty in quite a few of our classes, actually, um, okay. basic, advanced and administrative, all three levels. Um, but I do have an actual two day kind of basics of animal cruelty cases here in Texas, which is, it doesn't go super in detail cause it's only two days, but, um, it's kind of meant to be like a review for anyone who's maybe not done cruelty in a while and getting back into the field. Or I take a lot of, I have a lot of uh, police officers that take that class because they kind of understand the mechanics of the fourth and fifth amendments and warrants and things like that, but they just don't really understand aspects of animal husbandry or nutrition and they don't know what to look for. So um, we go into a lot of that in that class as well. And then we have a crime scene class that my husband teaches um, who he was a, a detective that he covered child crimes and animal crimes and so he, he goes into photography and videography and sketching scenes and a little bit of testimony and um, kind of how to break down evidence and get it packaged properly. So even that side of things, a lot of animal control, they don't have access to a crime scene team to come in and, you know, turn it into a big CSI project. They have to learn how to package it properly and handle it properly. So any any of that training, I think, is essential to be able to put together packets that are going to be useful for that prosecutor. And that's one of the things I was told earlier in my career from a city attorney. She was like, look, yo, she probably didn't say, yo, that's my own word. (laughs) She was like, look, she was like animal control. Like you're literally the first responder. So you're the, you know, you're the patrol car. You get out, you go on scene, you do the initial investigation. Then you're the detective, right? So then you have to do all the detective work for your cases, right? Then you have to be the crime scene person as well. Like make sure you're doing all that. Like our job, we don't have, and not, not ever, I can't speak for every agency, but a lot of us, we don't have the ability to like utilize some of the other resources that other agencies or other, or other professions do. And like, I'll give an example. When I was in Denver, anytime we had a good case, that we wanted to get more evidence on, like say it's an abandonment and the animal's like dead in a kennel and there's like metal dishes in there. I want fingerprints, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's how my brain works. Let's fingerprint this thing, but we can't do that. So when we would call crime scene, they would be like, uh, and no disrespect to them. They just weren't familiar or comfortable with it. And we didn't have an opportunity yet to really get in front of them and be like, Hey, this is why these are important. Cause I think that's part of it. 
this is why it's important, right? And then secondarily, we don't have the ability. I can't rub chalk dust on it and then, you know, do whatever y'all do. I don't know how to do that. Um, so, but we eventually got it to a point where it was, it was somewhat easier when we called crime scene was just to give them a case number and they came, they became more familiar with it, came out. The only, the, the difference from what I found is like the, how it's, it's not as fast as it looks like in the TV shows and the movies, like getting fingerprints back can take a while, getting other data back, whether it's, you know, biological stuff or whatever can take a, a little while. So just be patient, know, and then have a good chain of custody for all that stuff as well. You mean you <laughs> haven't wrapped up a case in 30 minutes? <laughs> well, the other thing we always encourage our students is to go get more training. So we always recommend either, you know, going through code three or LATI, get, you know, that national certification under your belt. So then when you bring that to your prosecutor, you can go, look, I'm nationally certified as a cruelty investigator. I'm the expert in this, right? And you can come to court as, as that expert in that field. And so it's, it's really important that to raise professionalism in animal control, we've got to raise the the training bar and what we're bringing um, to the table. I, I appreciate that. And, you know, as somebody that has been in a lot of trainings and does a lot of trainings, I think it's extremely important to, to be involved on every level. So uh, check out, again, check out humaneeducatorsoftexas.com. You can find their information on our website too. And some of the trainings that are coming up on my website as well. There's, there's quite a bit that I'm involved in and not just me, like there's tons of other people when I go to these trainings that have great classes too. So check those out. And I've been I've been doing that. I what I did in Michigan is I offered a certificate for you know it's a certificate of completion, but it's still a certificate, right? And they can say I sat through eight hours of this class that teaches the link between all these crimes, right? So that's right. that's important. So Dan, really quick, can I just address one other thing in Amanda's email? Yeah, let's um, do it. So one of the things that she was talking about is, you know, she said something along the lines, and I don't, I don't have it right in front of me, something along the lines of veterinarians or obligate reporters. And I just want to be clear, especially for anyone who's maybe not familiar with how that works, uh, not all veterinarians are obligated to report animal cruelty. Uh, it's not a requirement here in Texas. Veterinarians, if a veterinarian here in Texas, if they report animal cruelty, it just, all our state law says is that they are exempt from civil, civil or criminal prosecution basically um and in in i don't know if this is still true it's been a few years but it used to be actually against the law in kentucky for a veterinarian to report animal cruelty because of the horse racing lobbyists and things like that so i think it's really important to remember that and a lot of veterinarians like what what y'all said earlier of the kind of the dynamics changing and people really appreciate when vets or groomers or boarding facilities or whatever are reporting animal cruelty but i think that the other side of that argument is the clients who appreciate a vet reporting animal cruelty are the probably demographic wise, the wealthier clients, the ones who do take their animals to the vet once or twice a year. Those are probably the clients that appreciate it. Whereas it might be lower income clients who are 
you know, whether it's intentional or not, the ones who are getting involved in these kind of situations that she emailed about. And I think that a lot of vets worry about losing their clientele. If they find out if, you know, if it gets spread around town that Dr. Bob is reporting clients for animal cruelty, that's going to dissuade a lot of people from taking their animal to to Dr. Bob anymore. Because they think, well, I'm scared to go seek treatment because what if he reports me for cruelty? So I think it's really important that people remember that aspect of it too. Because I really do think that that has an impact on who reports what. And back to, I think back to her question, she's probably heard me talk about it before. In Colorado, veterinarians are mandatory, right? So they have to report it. Um, It is required. And then they are protected. Uh, from from any sort of immune, they're immune to any sort of you know um, lawsuits or things like that. Right. And I, I think it's just the other. Yeah, go ahead, Bishop. I, I just want to add in: not only are clients going to be upset with the veterinarians, my other concern was: okay, now you have somebody who has a a rapport, and they know the history of this person, and is that person now going to change where they go, and now? we don't have a way of monitoring what's going on. Right. Or stop going to the vet altogether because they're just right. too scared to get treatment for their pet. They're too scared of being reported. Yeah. Well, the other side we, yeah. um, here in Texas, there's no reg- there's no regulations at the state level for groomers or boarding facilities. So those industries aren't even addressed in our state law. So that's the other side of if you can get some legislative changes for those types of uh, industries to get some immunity, get some protection for them. Because if a groomer here in Texas reports animal cruelty, they aren't protected from civil or criminal um, liability. So that that citizen wants to turn around and sue the groomer. They can. They can. Let me ask this question, though. I I think and maybe we should do some research or or see if it's out there. Maybe if you know, maybe email the show, Daniel at humanemain.com. If you know this, if, if I'm a, let's say I'm a barber or stylist and and I cut children's hair or whoever, and I notice what appears to be like strangulation marks or things like that, am I required to report that? Right. So that could be similar for a groomer. That's like, Hey, um, you know, I'm working on this animal and I see things that just aren't normal. Am I, am I required? So I'm curious if there's any state, that requires because if you go through those classes to be a what's the word called like the barber there's like another word for that cosmetology yeah like you have to go through several several hours of training like a lot of their training is longer than like the police academy and stuff but like do they teach what to look for and how to report it and in texas i don't know if that's in the law but i do know like they they are required um, to be certified and whatnot. And there's, um, a whole different like licensing group for those types of profession. So maybe there is something in that licensure here in Texas. I'm Googling it right now. So I actually, (laughs) according to the, according to the, um, ADLF, there's no duty to report by veterinarians, but they are immune from liability according to ADLF. Okay. You mean I would also say I would encourage any ACOs that are listening to get out and talk to the groomers, talk Mm -hmm. to the boarding facilities, talk to the veterinarians about cruelty and, you know, what, what it looks like and, 
you know, if they, even if they don't want to report, if they just want to call and say, Hey, I have a question about this, you know, make yourself obnoxiously available to those industries so that they have a little bit more comfort level to call you. I think that's it. I think that's the greatest takeaway from this. So Amanda, if you're listening, just call them up, call them up, tell them Mm -hmm. you, you ask this question on our show and they can reach out to us too. If they have questions as well, like we're, we're not only are we just here for like once a week for a a podcast, but we're here, like we extend our services out through on that. So if I don't know the answer, I'm going to put you in touch with somebody that does. Right. And, And I think that's, what's really important is how do we figure out ways to like come up with an answer and, you know, get, get the right help for whoever it is, whether it's animals, whether it's people, et cetera, et cetera. And Kelly and I have the same philosophy. Any Anyone's welcome to reach out to us anytime for anything. We'll help us in any way we can. Yeah, whether you're in Texas or not. Yeah. Just yep. shoot us a, a message. We're on Facebook. We're obnoxiously available. <laughs> I kind of find... Okay, so I'm, I'm doing, doing my research right now, which is quick on the fly. And nothing's <laughs> jumping out about cosmetologists re- reporting child abuse, which is interesting because they would be potentially one of the people that could see it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just think that that's uh, kind of in, I, mean, I was trying to think of a, a similar type of profession that a groomer has, right? And, and it, are there laws currently for groomers or cosmetologists that could be similar that then you could add groomers to for animal abuse, et cetera. And maybe I'm going a little too far here, but I don't, I don't think if, if it's in the name to protect people and animals, I don't know if you can go too far. That's just my personal opinion. So, all right. Well, anything else? I guess people have been waiting for that big news that I was going to announce here at the end of the show. Are you pregnant? Uh, <laughs> it, it is not me. Thank goodness I'm not pregnant or anybody that I know. I would have questions. Yeah. Yeah. In that realm is But pregnant. would you? What if I had another baby though? I'm 44, yo. Is that too old? You're so old. Would yeah. you have a baby at 44? my age. Would you have uh, a baby at 44? No. God, no. Tabitha keeps slipping uh, birth control pills in my monster, so I don't have a baby now. Right. I don't know what y'all are doing. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing. Check out the Humane Educators of Texas.com. For that big announcement, for the big news, we are starting a podcast network. It's going to be the Keep It Humane Podcast, podcast Network. Podcast networks basically exist to bring you great content and we have some really good partners that we'll announce in the coming weeks. So stay tuned for that. And uh, we're excited to be part of a network, something bigger. So our show is just one piece of the puzzle and we have some great other podcasts doing some great things that we're going to work with uh, that'll live under that. Keep it humane podcast network. So that's the big news. We always like to say thanks for listening and keep it humane. 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 (laughs) 